Showtime Sports presents Showtime Boxing with Eric Raskin and Kieran Mulvaney. Hello and welcome to another edition of Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney. With my co-host Eric Raskin, I am Kieran Mulvaney. And Eric, despite my concerns that our pay-per-view card on Saturday would make for an even longer night than usual, as I predicted all four fights would last the distance, in the event, none of them did. And you know what? I was so happy I decided to do a Javante Davis and backflip off my couch onto the living room floor. So uh, I have to say, though, I didn't quite stick the landing like Javante did. And long story short, trying to convince an insurance company that my broken back is a pre-existing condition. But there you go. Hopefully the insurance company doesn't listen to this podcast. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, I was excited about the uh, four fights all ending in knockouts, too. So I also did a big backflip, uh, although... My backflip was unique in that I backflipped off my couch and right into my bed. Uh, and wow. uh, you, you know about my narcolepsy, Kieran. Uh, <laughs> so it, it hit a new peak here. I fell asleep in midair and was snoring by the time my head hit the pillow. Wow. Very impressive. I, nice. I take it your new house is a studio apartment then if you backflipped <laughs> off your couch onto your bed. <laughs> don't don't try to figure out the uh, the, the logic of the, of the statement I've just made. Um, this week on the podcast, we will, of course, dig into that explosive four knockout Showtime pay-per-view card we were just referencing. Uh, we'll also look ahead to more live action on Showtime this coming Saturday, headlined by primetime Chris Colbert. We'll hit on outside the ring news involving such big names as Manny Pacquiao, Errol Spence, Anthony Joshua, Bud Crawford, and even Muhammad Ali. And Eric will reveal my next top five list challenge. Uh, one thing you won't hear on this podcast is the boxing betting segment known as the Money Punch that we've done for the last couple of weeks. And that's because now that our mini pods digging into the King's docuseries are over, we're spinning the Money Punch off into its own mini pod dropping on Fridays. Those would be quick hits, maybe 15 minutes or so, previewing the weekend's action from a betting perspective. So look for the first of those this friday but back to the task at hand on this particular podcast and we start it with the main event of saturday's showtime pay-per-view from state farm arena in atlanta georgia javante davis's backflip capped 11th round knockout of mario barrios boy am i glad this fight happened in a post-quarantine society because there were 16,570 announced fans at state farm arena and they were loud as hell and yeah. elevated the excitement here to the next level. Uh, but even without them, this would have been a fight of the year candidate with a couple of round of the year candidates contained within. Davis versus Barrios was just plain thrilling. Uh, Tank was moving up from the 130 and 135 pound divisions to challenge 140 pounder Barrios. And early on, Barrios, with a five and a half inch height advantage, kept the fight mostly at distance, and built a lead. How big a lead is subject to debate. Uh, but the fight began to turn in the middle rounds when Javante got close and forced more exchanges, and it turned emphatically in round eight when Davis knocked Barrios down twice. There was no quit in El Azteca, though. He survived the round and battled back. A round 10 was an instant classic, and round 11 brought the finish with Davis dropping Barrios once again with a left hook to the liver and referee Thomas Taylor correctly stopping it during Tank's follow-up assault. Uh, Barrios takes his first loss. He's now 26-1 with 17 knockouts, while Davis advances to 26-0 with 25 KOs. The scoring was ultimately unimportant, 
But there was some debate over it, as Showtime's Steve Farhood had it even through 10, which inspired Floyd Mayweather to come to Javante's corner and use it to fuel him. Uh, but the official judges had Tank ahead 96-92, 96-92, and 97-91. I also had it 96-92. Kieran, how did you see it? What were the standout moments of the fight for you? And since you predicted a distance win for Davis, would you say he exceeded expectations? So first of all, I had it 95-93. Um, I gave Barrios the first four rounds like Steve. I gave Davis the next four with, of course, the 10-7-8th round. Barrios the ninth as, as Javante kind of reset and, and Davis the 10th. But even when I was giving Barrios those points earlier, I could see that probably in there was a round or two you could give to Davis because... He was looking tremendously relaxed and comfortable, Javante Davis. His defense was tremendously on point, and not very much of what Barrios was throwing was landing cleanly. Right. Um, but I gave him those rounds because he was throwing. But but it felt, even during that spell, that Davis was just biding his time, waiting for his opportunity, looking to close the distance, time his punches. It did indeed remind me of his mentor, Floyd Mayweather, who would so often do that, who mm -hmm. would have the calmness and confidence to give up a few early rounds to figure out his guy before just suddenly turning it on. And, and then once Davis was in the groove, he was you know, increasingly in the ascendant, um, apart from that ninth round when I just it seemed like he was catching his breath and Barrios came back incredibly strongly. Um, not for the first time. I thought Davis showed tremendous ring intelligence. I thought the way he assessed what Barrios had, the way he focused on his own defense and then steadily turned up his offense, the knockdown punches in round eight, they weren't accidental. They were beautifully set up, not just yeah. in terms of the sequence immediately preceding them and the way he fainted, but in terms of the rounds that had gone before, the, way, the softening up, the assessment of what Barrios was throwing and when, how he reacted to faints, all of that. Um, it was a powerful performance, I thought, both figuratively and literally from Davis. But it was also, I thought, a cerebral one. And, and again, not for the first time from him. Mm. Uh, and all the time, Barrios, I thought, remained a skilled, strong, willing and dangerous opponent. Um, and you mentioned the interaction with Floyd. I didn't much like it at the time because it, it meant that Coach Calvin just didn't really have the chance to work for a couple of rounds there in the right. corner. I thought if Floyd did want to give Javante advice, he could have said it and then shut up. He didn't need to keep saying, I'm telling you what you need to hear, man. I'm always going to be honest. That's fine. You don't need to keep saying that during right. the minute in the corner. But I also thought it was clear how much Floyd's advice means to Javante. And he sorted it out and he responded. You know, Floyd effectively said, dude, put the pedal to the metal. And Javante went ahead and did that. And honestly, even if he hadn't scored the knockout, I would have been impressed because I rate Barrios highly. As it is, he did score that knockout. Um and look, I don't do a pound for pound list anymore, but I would have to think that Davis would have to be on it uh, uh, now if he wasn't already. Um, he's really, I think, becoming a, a, a complete fighter and a very, very impressive one. And of course, you know, it takes two to tango. It was a great fight, not just because of what Javante Davis did, but because of what Mario Barrios did. And I saw that you had an all caps tweet after the two knockdown eighth round that read simply Mario Barrios equals warrior. Uh, and indeed so. I mean, just a tremendous heart from him. Does this loss actually even set Barrios back at all? Uh, what do you think about his performance and where he goes from here? Uh, no, I, I don't think it sets him back at all. I don't think his stock is hurt one little bit, even though he did lose his zero. I mean, who doesn't want to see Mario Barrios fight again exactly. after this? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Even though he is no longer undefeated and he lost by knockout to a smaller guy. I think this fight 
doesn't damage his marketability at all. It's a testament to the value of the hashtag dare to be great attitude. Uh, copyright mm-hmm. Brian Campbell. Um, I still hold the copyright <laughs> to hashtag dare to be washed, by the way. Let's make that clear. Um, but you, you get a fight like this and both guys enhance their standing. Uh, Barrios, that eighth round. What can you say about the heart he showed yep. down twice? They were real knockdowns. He refused to go down a third time and he fought back. And at one yep. point late in the round, Davis landed another big shot and Barrios pounded his gloves on his own body, asking for more of that move. Um, and then he came back and, you know, won the ninth round. As you said, it had a lot to do with Tank sort of taking the round off to get his wind back. But but still to come back and win a round after that. Um, and then again in the 11th, he, he could have stayed down after that yep. body shot but he willed himself up. Um, so in terms of where does he go from here, I don't think he mingles with the top of the division right now. Josh Taylor, Regis Prograde, those guys. But that next year, I think you want to lean into the idea of Barrios as an action fighter, and you put him in with either Jose Zapata or Ivan Baranchik. See if they mm-hmm. can make some magic. Barrios Zapata in particular is the perfect fight to me should be an all out war and whoever wins is in position for another title shot. But the bigger subject is not what's next for Barrios. It's what's next for tank Davis. So many options and so many weight divisions he can fight in based on this performance. Do you think he should keep fighting at 140 or drop back down? Uh, and, and anywhere between 130 and 140, what, what are the one or two fights that you'd most like to see him in? So he might have to be a bit creative in terms of his matchmaking, I think. And I think it's good for him that he can fight in a couple of weight divisions. Um, You know, when we talked with Al Bernstein on the Kings mini pod on Sunday night, we we were wondering how much of the legend of those four fighters is because of who they were. And how much is that yearning for a time when broadcasting and promotional contracts didn't get in the way of big fights? And the fact of the matter is right now. The so-called four princes, copyright Kira Mulvaney, are <laughs> scattered among four different promoters and three different networks or streaming platforms. Um, so the prospect maybe of getting one of those immediately is probably not that strong. When I'm thinking about what comes next for Javante, I'm not thinking about 130 anymore. I, f- I don't know, but it feels as if those days may be over. Mm. I mean, he was struggling at times to make 130 anyway. Now that he's bulked up to 140... I don't know that he's going to want to make himself go back down there, but there are options there. But there are very strong options at 135 or 140. Ultimately, of course, we want to see him up against a Haney or a Garcia or a Lopez. But assuming Tiafimo recovers from COVID, and he is apparently still ill with that, his dance card is full. George Cambosos, and then we'll talk about this later on, but... It looks like conceivably a Lomachenko rematch and then 140, where you would think that probably you'd be looking at Josh Taylor simply because they're all in the same stable and that's easy to make. The fight that I think ultimately has to be made, and by ultimately, ideally, between now and the end of 2022, is Ryan Garcia. Um, That fight will be immense. Um, Davis clearly can attract huge crowds. He has proven consistently that he's one of the American fighters, perhaps one of the very few American fighters who can do that. And Garcia, of course, has that massive social media following. Um, That was the prospect that got Coach Calvin excited when we talked to him about it on the podcast a while back. But in the meantime, the fight that looks makeable to me, a good fight, that looks that it might be the most easy to make without having to deal with all these promotional and, and streaming things could be somebody you just mentioned. And that's Regis Progray. Hmm. Um, 
As far as I'm aware, he's still a promotional free agent after leaving DeBella. I don't think there's anything to get in the way of that happening. He called him out as soon as the fight was over on Saturday night. Uh, That would be a very good fight to see, I think, as we wait for the others to sort themselves out. And I think Javante's now shown himself to be the kind of fighter at the kind of level that he would look at a Regis Progre as a kind of in-between fight until he can get bigger fights because he's clearly not afraid to, as you said, there to be great and take on really, really tough opposition. Yeah, that, that's a good one. I hadn't really put a lot of thought into it, but stylistically, that's a nice change of pace from Barrios. It's a whole different mm-hmm. kind of challenge for Javante, and it feels like another fight that, that could do really well in a, in a place like Atlanta. Javante is obviously right. building a following there. Progre is from that general region of the country, so that, that could draw a big, enthusiastic crowd. Uh, yeah, I, I'd be on board for that. Yeah. All right, so Davis Barrios undoubtedly delivered. Terrific fight. Um, the co-feature lasted about half as long, but it actually also offered its share of thrills as 154-pound contenders Erickson Lubin and Jason Rosario squared off. It was the Hammer Lubin using both Jack and Sledge to prevail in the sixth round. Uh, he first hurt Rosario in round three, sending him wobbling back to his corner at the end of the round, but Rosario returned the favor in the fourth, stiffening Lubin's legs momentarily with a jab, of all things. Um, both men definitely looked vulnerable at times, but it was Lubin who took decisive advantage in round six, dropping Rosario with a three-punch combination highlighted by a big southpaw right hook to the body. After Rosario rose, Lubin dropped him with another body shot, then landed a punch while Rosario was on a knee, but referee Jerry Cantu let it go and counted Rosario out, despite the screams from one of Rosario's cornermen that you could hear very clearly during yeah. the count. He hit him on the ground. Um, that's two straight defeats for Rosario, who's now 23-1, and one, while Lubin goes to 24-1 and one with his 17th KO. Um, Eric, you've expressed a hesitancy to totally believe in Lubin since his one-round loss uh, nearly four years ago now to Jamel Charlo. Are you willing to consider him all the way back now after this arguably career best win? Yes and no. Um, it's it's a full yes, except he clearly does have some chin concerns. Yeah. Um, and that makes every fight a tightrope walk, plays a role in making him must-see TV. I mean, a jab kind of short-circuited him for a second there. That's not good. Um, but if that's who Lubin is, dynamic offensive fighter, believes in himself, wants all the big fights, and is always one punch away from going to sleep. Cool. Sign me up. Uh, it's tremendously entertaining. Um, clearly, other than the chin, yeah, he, he looks like he's all the way back. He's a serious contender at 154. He's a threat to anyone in the division. I love his southpaw right hook. And just watch him in the sixth round of this fight. Watch that round over again if you want to see the total package from Lubin. Lubin cooking with all the ingredients, jabbing beautifully, throwing combinations, body shots, and then finishing. Um, That said, he does need to be careful about the late punch thing that you mentioned. Uh, I think the ref made a fine judgment call here. Mm -hmm. It wasn't that blatant. It was just one punch as Rosario was on a knee. Uh, Bill Detloff is a hardliner about this particular foul. He says if you hit a guy when he's down, you get DQ'd if he can't continue. I like to use a little judgment, and if it's not too blatant, if it's one punch that was kind of hard to hold back, I I say let it slide. And and it was the body shot that kept Rosario down, not the late punch to the head. Um, So so I think the ref made the right call here, but he's got to be careful, um, not get into that habit. All in all, though, great win for Lubin. Couldn't ask for much more from him, and 
he's still just 25. So a lot of road ahead for him. Yeah, I, I enjoyed the fight. And like you said, the thing with Lubin is that he does have that hint of vulnerability about him to stop you from having like complete and total faith in him at any right. point. Um, you know, as Kevin Cunningham was saying to him, there was no way he should have been letting Rosario back to beat on him like that um, after having him in that position. I'm a smidgen concerned now about Rosario's ability to withstand punches. I mean, mm. we all focused on the oddness of the knockout to Jamel Charlo last right. time out. Um, but in his corner prior to that, coming out for that final round, he was kind of done. He was out of it. Um, right. But when he staggered and wobbled after the third pier, wasn't great. Um, he looks a little bit like someone who can get short-circuited maybe a bit too easily, but then rebound rapidly enough that he can then end up taking some more. Um, it's a slight concern. I'm not trying to write him off. I'm not saying right. like he's done or anything. But that's the kind of tendency that might affect him somewhat in the future. But that might also be unfair of me. It may just simply be that he's been up against two really, really good punchers um, and that up against other people, that won't be a problem. But just the way his body's reacting to some of these punches is a wee bit of a concern. But... Yeah, I, I agree. There's something just visible about the way that he's responding that is a little out of the ordinary. And I know nothing about his uh, weight making methods, but sometimes mm. that's associated with if you're coming down a little too far in weight, you, you end up weakening yourself and uh, bad things can happen. So I, I don't know, you know, that's pure guesswork that it could have something to do with right. him needing to move up a weight division, but maybe that's the answer. Yeah. Uh, let's go through the first two fights on the pay-per-view card quickly. Uh, we had a late replacement fight after J-Rock Williams fell out with an injury. Uh, it was junior middleweight Carlos Adames taking on middleweight Alexis Salazar at 157-pound catchweight. And it was all over in the third round. Adames, who'd just had two points deducted for a holding in an odd little sequence, um, landing a sudden lead left hook to the chin, putting Salazar on the canvas. He got up, but referee Jim Corp gave him a long look and stopped the bow. Uh, Adamas is now 20-1 and one with 16 KOs. His only loss, a close decision to Patrick Teixeira. Eric, were we able to learn anything about Adamas in this quick fight against their late replacement? Well, first, uh, I'll say that I definitely learned something about referee Jim Corb, uh, <laughs> and that is that I don't ever want to see him refereeing again. Uh, in the second round... Salazar's gloves touched the canvas after he took a shot from behind, and Corb didn't even acknowledge that he had touched down and just let them keep fighting. In the third round, Adamas landed a left hand from an odd angle, and again Salazar went down, and again Corb completely ignored it. Uh, yeah. Then it got real ugly inside. Adamas was coming around behind Salazar and doing some holding and hitting, and Corb didn't give a warning. He, he just suddenly, without any warning, took not one, but two points from yeah. Adamas and was cursing at him and threatening to disqualify him. I don't know where this guy got his ref training, but uh, th that was very non-standard stuff going on in there. Then yes. he did make the correct decision to stop the fight later in the third round, but only after a couple of extra seconds of staring at a Salazar who was wobbling all over the place. It looked like Corb wanted to make another wrong call, but but then talked himself out of it, decided <laughs> to do the right thing. Um, so, okay, all, all that said, you asked, what did we learn about Adamas? I learned that he has 34 siblings, all to the same father. Yeah. Holy shit, hashtag hero. <laughs> um, otherwise, uh, I mean, Adamas fought well. He clearly has some power. He can finish. He's willing to punch from all angles, legal or otherwise. Um, but Salazar wasn't a great opponent. So, yeah, not a fight where we really learned a whole lot. And in the opening bout, Batir Akhmadov, who lost a close one to Mario Barrios in 2019, banged out a stoppage win over veteran Arhenis Mendez. 
It wasn't quite easy or dominant, but the Russian southpaw Akhmadov was busier and generally in control. And after the eighth round, Mendez told his corner his right hand was injured. And they didn't take the hint too well, but uh, after repeated pleadings from the fighter, they finally did throw in the towel. Kieran, were you impressed by Akhmadov here, or are the days of it meaning something to beat Mendez over? Uh, yeah, look, Akhmadov was Akhmadov. He, he got off to a better start than he sometimes has, certainly that he did against Barrios. Um, and he just went about his business. Um, it was what we've seen from him before. It was a very good win, I thought, against an experienced opponent. But the fact is now that I think that Mendes has moved firmly into gatekeeper territory. Uh, and I don't remember, I'm sure there have been instances, but I don't remember offhand a fighter pleading with his corner quite so vociferously to be pulled out of a fight. Right. Um, I don't doubt at all that his hand was badly damaged, you know, for him to want to do that. But I do think once you get into that sort of place psychologically, it can be hard to get out of it again. Mm-hmm. Mendez is starting to show some signs of decline, and, and I hope he doesn't subject himself to too much more punishment in the future. Oh, and by the way, you know, you're talking about um, uh, the the ref uh, in the Adames fight. Uh, I did want to just quickly note, I thought Thomas Taylor did a great job in the main event, by mm, the way. Yeah. And I think we should actually praise referees when they do a good job. I just thought his placement was excellent. He was really in control. His commands were clear. 10 seconds, stepped in between the fighters, stopped the fight very well. So yeah, credit to him for that. Yeah. And it's not like every experienced referee is great and every referee we're unfamiliar right. with stinks. But in this case, Thomas Taylor is a referee we've seen plenty of times and we know he can perform at this level. Uh, the guy that I was given a hard time, Corb, I had never seen before. No, and no. so, uh, you know, that that is... Uh, don't want to overgeneralize, but is that is often the way it goes. When a guy is an unknown referee, he might be an unknown referee for a reason. Better than Mr. Don't Step on Each Other's Feet or I'll Take a Point. <laughs> True. Good point. <laughs> All right, let's do a quick update on our picks competition. We each got one point for that Akhmedov win. Uh, we both predicted that he'd win over the distance. We also both said Lubin by unanimous decision, got one point apiece there. Uh, I picked Davis by split decision and got one point. You had Davis KO 10, narrowly missed the five-pointer, but you did get two points to my one. It is now all tied up, 39-39, as we hit the midpoint of the year. Not quite just where I want you, but delicately poised as we head into the, the back nine of the year. And and our scores happen to be our ages as well. How about that? <laughs> well, at my next birthday. Oh, right. I forgot. Okay. I'm I'm the older one all of a sudden, huh? Okay. Exactly. All right. Um, it's time for the tweet of the week. And in this case, I'm pulling a Mulvaney and selecting two tweets uh, that are related. Um, and I'm acknowledging them for different strengths. They both come from pro athletes who were watching Davis Barrios. One is notable for the profile of the person who tweeted it. The other is the better actual tweet. Uh, first, from Kevin Durant, future basketball Hall of Famer, arguably the best player in the NBA right now. Just cool to know that he was watching this fight. Uh, mm-hmm. Javante Davis has his attention. Apparently, he tweeted, respect to Barrios. Tank Davis has mastered this shit. Uh, <laughs> nothing brilliant, but you know it's good for Javante's star power to have Kevin Durant tweeting about how good he yes. is. And then the other tweet comes from former NFL player Will Blackman. He posted a gif of Davis knocking Barrios backward and down with the right hook for the first knockdown and tweeted, Tank knocked my man back a whole social distance, which is uh, about right. Uh, Barrios was he was not practicing social distancing. He was up in Tank's grill. Tank knocked him a solid six feet away. Uh, Good stuff uh, and good for Javante. He is becoming uh, or maybe I should say he has become one of the biggest mainstream stars in boxing right now. 
Yeah, yeah, no, that's great. Uh, and I, I would, I have to say, had I been picking this week, I would have gone with our friend Paul Newman and probably picked your tweet, with referring to the earlier comment about Carlos Adames. Wow, Carlos Adames has 34, and then you spelled it out, 34 siblings. <laughs> the weird part is they're all named Gary Russell. Brilliant. I got to give it to you. That was, <laughs> Thank you, that, sir. That would have been my pick. I all guess. right. So it's basically, I, I'm, I'm in the same sentence as Kevin Durant and Will Blackman. I'll take that. Sure. That's whatever, <laughs> whatever works for you, man, whatever okay. you need. Okay. Uh, there was only one other fight from the weekend that we need to talk about. It was on ESPN Plus from Las Vegas. Former pound-for-pound king Vasily Lomachenko returned from his close loss to Teofimo Lopez and delivered a beatdown against Masayoshi Nakatani, becoming the first to stop the tough Japanese fighter and certainly bettering Lopez, who went the 12-round distance against Nakatani two years ago and didn't look super impressive. Um, Eric, what did you make of Lomachenko's performance? Did you sense he was really out to make a statement here? Absolutely. I haven't seen him finish this aggressively in a long time. A lot of his recent fights either went the distance or ended with his opponent having the fight beaten out of him and throwing in the towel this one loma was on a mission he doesn't like losing of course doesn't like hearing people question whether he's lost a step he was out to prove he's still one of the pound for pound best which clearly he is and because nakatani gave tefuma lopez a tough night and went the distance he wanted to one-up lopez no doubt Uh, this was a tremendous performance by lomachenko that said nakatani is there to be hit and he's not that fast, and he's not that skilled. He, he presents none of the problems that Lopez presented for Lomachenko. So, you know, we should keep this in perspective. But at the same time, what more could you want to see out of Loma in this fight? He brutalized Nakatani. Yeah. I think it could have been stopped a few punches sooner than it was. Great win for Lomachenko. Uh, we talked last week about how he doesn't care for soft touches and get well fights. <laughs> he wants to be in tough every time. Here, he managed to get well against a guy who wasn't a soft touch on paper, but Loma kind of made him look like a soft touch in the ring. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so let's spin it forward. Uh, I asked you earlier about Tank Davis's options, and um, we talked recently about how maybe Devin Haney isn't the fourth prince. Maybe Lomachenko can be the Duran of the group. Uh, so what do you think? Uh, you, you mentioned earlier that a Lopez-Lomachenko rematch is potentially untapped. Do you think we're getting that? How does Lomachenko at age 33 appear to fit in with Lopez, Davis, and Ryan Garcia? Well, I think a lot does depend on what happens with him and Lopez. And he's clearly focused on getting a Lopez rematch. And I think his place and how he fits in the scheme of things with all these other kids kind of depends on if that, A, if that happens, and B, how that goes. If he beats Lopez in a rematch then for all that Lopez says, then he's immediately going to 140. You have to figure you're looking at a rubber match. By the time that's all done and dusted, it'll be at least 34, maybe 35. So maybe, you know, that will be that in terms of mixing with the young guns. If he loses a rematch, there's really no incentive for a Davis or a Garcia to face him because you're just taking on the man that Lopez has beaten twice and the risk-reward scenario is entirely skewed to risk because there's just still danger that he's going to do to you what he did to Nakatani, and nobody wants that. So at this age and at this stage of his career, I don't know how much of a role he's going to play in all of this. Um, by the time, you know, you mentioned, can he be the Duran of this group? By the time Duran was Lomachenko's age, he was getting iced by Tommy Hearns, but... We all know what Duran was doing in terms of training before that Tommy Hearns fight, <laughs> and I don't see Lomachenko doing that. And 
Horst Durant did still have, what, 17 years of career ahead of him after that? Uh, and I don't really see Lomachenko doing that either. Right. Uh, all right. Uh, that was a, a lot of coverage of this past Saturday night's action, but there's more right around the corner. Let's look ahead to Saturday, July 3rd, a rare Showtime Championship Boxing doubleheader, just two live fights. Good news for the wash among us, uh, starting at 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific from the Punch Bowl, as Morinala likes to call it, Dignity Health Sports Park. Uh, so you know for damn sure something is exciting is going to happen just based on the venue. Uh, the main event features a late replacement opponent who might just provide a stiffer test than the original opponent. The fighter who's been the constant here is undefeated 130-pounder Chris Primetime Colbert, 24 years old, 15-0, 6 KOs, last seen stopping Jaime Arboleda in the Mohican Sun bubble on December 12th, earning the win in the 11th round after controlling most of the fight to that point. He was supposed to take on veteran Yuriorkis Gamboa, who is 39 years old and still dangerous, but mostly a gatekeeper. Uh, but the Cuban is out with a rib injury, so in steps Tuxok King Tug Nambayar, who is a decade younger than Gamboa at 29, and brings a record of 12-1 with nine knockouts. Tug narrowly defeated Kobe Abridi on Showtime in September, and before that he suffered his only loss, also on Showtime, against Mr. Gary Russell Jr. <laughs> uh, so, Kieran, the obvious question, is Colbert in tougher now than he would have been against Gamboa? I think so, yes. Although, I don't know that it's necessarily quite as clear-cut. My my original thought, initial response to this like notion was yes, but I don't know that it's quite as clear-cut as that. Um, I'm not quite sure when or why Gamboa slid from being contender to title holder to stepping stone but that's where we are with him almost and there's no question that it's a long time since he looked like a world beater um that said even in his relative dotage he's proven to be a tough out um he went 12 with devin haney before that he went into the uh 11th i think before being stopped by javante davis um might might even have been the 12th that he made it might was the 12th actually wasn't it um and even though he lost comfortably on the scorecards to haney he's well behind against davis he still does pack danger especially in the early rounds um he did show against Terence Crawford, which granted was seven years ago now that his hand speed and one punch punching power can wobble even bigger opponents. But, you know, and even if that ability is diminished somewhat over the years and Gamboa increasingly looks more interested in surviving than in springing an upset victory, I'm not sure that Nyambayar has that same X factor that Gamboa does. I'm not sure that there's anything in particular about him that makes you sit up and take notice and think, oh my gosh, I gotta be really careful about this. No incentive to sort of keep you as a viewer on the couch and away from the fridge. And here's the thing, even as his last few fights have shown that he does indeed belong at this level, I think they've also shown that perhaps he's reached his level. Mm. Uh, he lost to Gary Russell Jr., as you said, but most people do that. There's no problem like that. There's, he certainly struggled to make headway against Russell's hand speed and combination. That's fair enough. But he struggled a bit in his two fights either side of that one. Uh, In early 2019, he needed a strong finish to win a close but unanimous decision over Claudio Marrero that would have been a majority decision were it not for a point deduction from Marrero. And most recently, he looked a bit iffy at times against Kobia Breedy, winning a split decision despite knocking Breedy down in rounds one and two. Uh, the Don Trella card against him was a bad one. Um, it shouldn't have been a split decision. We both we both scored it, I think, as a 115, 111, 116, 110 type of fight right. for Tug. But, you know, after being four points up through two rounds, it was 
you know, I, I checked and the word I used in the post-fight recap was somnambulistic uh, in terms of a win. Um, it was perfectly capable technically, but it wasn't a standout type of performance. Um, all of that said, he still has the capacity to be a constant thorn in Colbert's side. I think whereas Gamboa, you'd expect him to be dangerous, particularly in those early rounds, and then probably not. You know, Tug's going to be there all the way through the fight as long as he's in, you know, as long as he's in there, he's not going to fold his tent and just go through the motions. Um, I think perhaps the biggest problem that Colbert's going to face is that on very short notice, he's facing a very different kind of opponent. He's going from a five foot five orthodox puncher with good hand speed, but relatively low output to a five seven southpaw with high output and a strong motor. And we'll see whether he's had enough time to, to comfortably adapt to that challenge. Right. Um, as you noted, this card is a doubleheader, although we will also be shown highlights of the super lightweight 10-rounder between Richardson Hitchens and Darren Price. Uh, but the co-feature is at 135 pounds, with undefeated 23-year-old prospect Michel Rivera of the Dominican Republic, who recently told Boxing Scene he is the, quote, reincarnation of Muhammad Ali, putting his 20-0, 13-KOs record on the line against Spain's John Fernandez, a tall lightweight of 5'11", with a record of 21-1 and with 18 KOs. Neither of these fighters is well-known to American TV audiences. So, Eric, give us a little insight into their resumes and their styles. And while you're at it, is Rivera the reincarnation of the greatest? <laughs> uh, no, and I, I don't really even see the comparison at all. <laughs> no, not, not in his fighting style. And, and he said that people tell him he looks like Ali. I don't see that either. I think he looks more like Felix Trinidad, maybe. Mm. Um, he definitely doesn't fight like Ali. He's more aggressive, a boxer puncher, coming forward behind the jab, looking to hurt his opponents. The overhand right is his power punch. He's very fluid. I'm not sure about his defense. He, he hasn't really been tested, which isn't to say he hasn't feast, faced any decent opposition. Uh, in his ninth fight, he beat 10-0 Marco Acevedo, but that kicked off a 1-8-1 stretch for Acevedo, so maybe he wasn't a very good 10-0. Uh, in his 12th fight, Rivera beat 23-1-1 Manuel Botis, then 12-1-1 Jean-Pierre Osses, and 12-0 Yankee Leon. In his 15th fight, he defeated 13-0 Juan Tellez, and two fights ago, he got his stiffest test from 21-1 Ladarius Miller. That was on the pre-pay-per-view portion of the Davis-Santa Cruz card last year, and it went the full 10 rounds, and Miller won three rounds on each card. So looking at the whole picture, Rivera hasn't been matched soft, but he hasn't really stepped up yet either. On the other side, John Fernandez, as you noted, he's tall for the division, and he can punch. He has that tall guy torque on his power mm -hmm. shots. Mm -hmm. uh, he's actually fought three times on Showbox, but viewers might not remember him because those fights were in 2017 and 2018 before we were podcasting for Showtime. So it's like, did they really happen? You know, um, but, uh, you know, it's been three years since he's been on US TV. During that time, he's had five fights, all wins, all in Spain. His first two showbox fights were big knockout wins over 7-1 Ernesto Garza and 14-3-3 and Juan Reyes. That one was a one-punch highlight reel shot uh, against an overmatched opponent. Uh, and then in his third showbox appearance, he lost an 8-2 decision on all cards to Oshaki Foster, who we know to be a pretty good fighter. But still, Fernandez was easy to hit in that fight, and it appeared he found his level. So mm -hmm. Rivera is the A-side here. 
the one thing I feel confident in in terms of a prediction is that this won't be boring. This should be a good meshing of styles between two offensive-minded guys. Um, And speaking of what I'm predicting, let's make our predictions. Um, It's my turn to pick first, and we'll start with the main event, Colbert versus Nyambayar. And my sense is that the skills and speed and versatility of Colbert are going to be a nightmare for King Tug. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nyambayar is a good fighter, a dangerous fighter. It won't be a quick or easy night for Colbert, but unless Nyambayar catches him with the perfect punch, I just don't see how he wins the fight. He lost between eight and 10 rounds on each of the judges' cards against Gary Russell, and he's looking at a similar speed gap here, similar deficit in speed. Colbert has phenomenal hand speed, and mm-hmm. Nyambayar isn't great at cutting off the ring, by the way. So I just see him getting pot-shotted and chasing ineffectively all night, except Colbert can get a little reckless. He, he could get caught switching stances or, or doing some Roy Jones lunging type <laughs> stuff. The potential for a great counterpuncher to catch him is there. I'm just doubting that Tug can be that guy. Uh, given Colbert's low knockout percentage and the fact that King Tug has never come close to being stopped, I think what I'm about to make is the chalk pick, the sort of obvious <laughs> pick. Uh, it's Colbert by unanimous decision, losing just a couple of rounds along the way. And then he can get on the mic afterward and plug his primetime chicken restaurant again. <laughs> you go. Yeah, look, uh, we've been using this phrase quite a bit in this podcast. But as I mentioned earlier, it feels to me as if Nyambiara has more or less found his level. It's a, mm-hmm. it's a good one. It's, it's a very good one. Um, good enough to get past the likes of Claudia Marrero and could be a breedy and probably a fair few others at 130. But I feel like Colbert, Colbert still hasn't quite reached his level yet. I, I, when I look at him, I see a guy who I think is continuing to improve and who arguably looked better against just real Corrales and Jaime Arboleda than he had earlier in his career. Um, you, you sort of hinted at this. He can be a bit of a frustrating watch at times. He's clearly skilled. Um, but he can at times be a bit sloppy. He can sometimes be a bit conservative in his punch output. He, he relies very much on the, the efficiency uh, of his punching. Um, he can punch, but as his relative low KO ratio shows, he generally hasn't like sat down on his punches. He's too busy sort of being on his toes. And like you said, sometimes switching stances and so on. It changed that changed a little bit against Arbolado. I thought he sat down on his punches a bit more. And he did say afterwards that he felt he was finding his man strength. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if he does a bit more of that against Nyambia, especially later on. I think, like you said, Nyambia might exhaust himself and frustrate himself a little bit chasing after him in the early rounds. And I see Colbert maybe gradually turning it up. Um, I also used to, I used the word frustrating uh, in my notes as well, which I think you, you said as well. But I, the only scenario in which I see a stoppage both because of Colbert's low KO ratio and, like you said, because Tug looks pretty tough guy, is maybe a, is cuts, something like that. But I'm going with you. I am going with a quite wide unanimous decision for Chris Colbert. Okay. Um, as for Michelle Rivera against John Fernandez, yeah, you know, I, I feel like you mentioned that that Oshaki Foster fight really shows us sort of where Fernandez is. Um, he is tall. There's a decent variety of punches in his arsenal from what I've seen. And and I think in some respects, he might have a bit more of a variety of punches in his arsenal than Rivera does, at least based on what I've seen of them so far. But even though, like you said, at times he has been able to score those notable KOs, it's sort of against who is it? What is the quality of opposition? And like you said, all but a couple of his fights have been in Spain against opponents you haven't heard of. Rivera... 
yeah, like as you also mentioned, he's got that one big out punch. He's got that that overhand right, which he sometimes throws as a lead. He likes to sort of feint with the left and then throw that as a lead right hand quite often. Um, but, you know, there are some fighters, even as their arsenal appears, you know, relatively limited, they're able to throw it with enough regularity and conviction and effectiveness and maybe disguise it sufficiently well and they're sufficiently difficult to time that they keep, they're able to keep landing it. And Rivera's kind of like a metronome. He keeps coming with that punch. Um, jab right hand, jab right hand, and then sometimes that lead right. And he's obviously able to land it quite well against at least a certain caliber of opposition. So... I, like you, I made a note that I think this is going to be quite entertaining. I think it's it's an interesting clash of physiques and styles. But it looks to me as if Rivera, while very, very, very far from anything like a Muhammad Ali, is more likely to become the sort of established B-level guy. It looks to me like he has that extra something. I think it'll be fun, uh, but I'm going to pick him by unanimous decision also closer than the main event but a unanimous decision okay uh well we are on most for the most part the same page but our picks are not quite identical here rivera has to be the favorite in this fight but fernandez is dangerous he's the kind of guy that at the right odds i could see picking the upset um when those numbers come out if he's like four to one or higher i would take a shot uh, or maybe you can get like six to one on Fernandez by knockout, something like that. That would be worth Man, it. I, I hope think. there's a podcast dropping on Friday that might <laughs> that might help people figure that out. Hmm. Well, knows. if there is, there people might. should tune in. Yeah, they should. Um, straight up though, without the odds involved, just at even money, which is how we make our predictions here. Uh, I can't pick him. I'm not doing it. Uh, Rivera is clearly the higher upside prospect, as you said. He figures to land cleanly a lot in this fight and hurt Fernandez eventually. I think I would expect him to get clipped a few times along the way. We should see some thrilling action. We agree on that. I think eventually Rivera breaks through. And I noticed he scored final round stoppages in two of his last three fights. So I'm going to go for another Rivera KO 10. All right. All right, it's time for the news, and it's been something of a slow week. Nothing quite feels like a news main event worth devoting a whole conversation to. So instead, let's only do an undercard this week. There were a few big names making news. It's just that the news surrounding those names isn't necessarily all that major. Maybe this first item will turn out to be major. Uh, Manager Audi Attar of Paradigm Sports has filed a breach of contract suit against Manny Pacquiao, claiming Paradigm had given him a $3.3 million advance before he signed with PBC, and they're requesting an injunction to stop the Pacquiao-Errol Spence fight. A statement from Pacquiao attorney Dale Kinsella called the lawsuit frivolous and turned it back on Paradigm, saying they failed to fulfill their contractual obligations to Pacquiao. We shall see if this goes anywhere and actually gets in the way of the Spence fight. Uh, we have an official date for Anthony Joshua versus Alexander Usyk. That heavyweight showdown will be September 25th, venue still to be finalized. And Terrence Crawford has a fight date. Dan Rayfield reports that Bud will next fight on October 23rd on ESPN. The opponent is still to be determined. Three months earlier to the day, July 23rd, is the date of a special 20th anniversary showbox card. It'll be a quadruple header, reportedly slated for Nebraska. Fights all yet to be announced. Uh, A few other quickies. Jean Pascal has tested positive again 
as results were just returned for another set of random VADA tests he took in the build-up to his planned fight against Badu Jack. He came up positive for two of the same substances found in his other tests. Uh, British heavyweight Brian London, who challenged Muhammad Ali for the title in 1966, but lost by KO3, and also challenged Floyd Patterson unsuccessfully seven years earlier, has died at age 87. And lastly, speaking of Ali, the greatest's grandson, Nico Ali Walsh, is turning pro as a boxer. He signed with top rank and is set to make his debut on August 14th underneath the third meeting between Joshua Franco and Andrew Maloney. Kieran, anything you'd like to say about any of that? Uh, I don't need to comment on everything, but on a few of them. Um, look, we've talked about it before, and we will, of course, talk about it again. But I actually really like Joshua Usyk as a fight. I, I think it has a genuine chance of upsetting the Fury Joshua apple cart. Um, I, I was a smidgen worried about Usyk at heavyweight after seeing him struggle early with the size and physicality of Derek Chisora. But Joseph Parker's a legit heavyweight, and he also struggled with the size and physicality of Derek Chisora. Um, I, I think in hindsight, that's more of a commentary on Chisora than on Usyk. Um, based on what I've read about the lawsuit against Pacquiao, it certainly looks like it's it's fairly legitimate. Um, the fact that Judd Burstein is representing the plaintiffs shows that they mean serious business. Uh, I would have thought there was too much at stake for Pacquiao Spence to be cancelled, but we've just been through this with yeah. the heavyweights. <laughs> um, so it would be wrong to dismiss uh, the likelihood of that. So uh, we will see how that that uh, evolves. Uh, I do want to also just, you know, offer an RIP to Brian London, who was as self-effacing as they come. Uh, his dad, Jack London, not that Jack London, um, was British heavyweight champ in the 1940s. Brian London would say, my dad was Jack London and I was expected to fight as well. I was never a great fighter. I was just really, really fit. <laughs> Interesting. All right, uh, we conclude the podcast with me revealing your next top five list challenge. The okay. month of softies is over. That's uh -oh. what she said. Um, <laughs> I'm re-stepping up the effort required level to moderate. All right, okay. we, we, we want to ease back into the tough ones. We'll go with moderate. Okay. Um, my effort required level in assigning this was zero because I'm using a listener suggestion. Um, <laughs> I was sent a tweet a few weeks ago. This came from Muthena Al-Salani, uh, at Muthena147, who wrote, idea for your assignment to Kiernan. I'm not sure if he misspelled your name by accident or was making a Mario Lopez reference. Uh, bravo, <laughs> if it was the latter. Or is uh, it Bill Detloff burner account? One or the other. <laughs> that could be. <laughs> um, so he continues here. In light of Pac Spence being announced... We'll see if it actually happens, but let's uh, the the top five suggestion uh, works just fine, uh, regardless of any uh, legal issues getting in the way of that fight. He says top five old legend fights off young lion, a.k.a. And then he gives two examples. I only want to read you one of them because they could both make the list. So I want to yeah. limit it to one spoiler. Um, but just so you get a, a clear feel for what he means, I'll, I'll tell you one of them. He uses a fight that was featured in The Kings. Roberto Duran versus Iran Barkley, a fine example of old legend fights off young lion. Uh, so Muthena continues, assignment specification, the older fighter needed to be an underdog in the fight. Uh, so those are all the specifications he gave. Uh, I don't see the need to add any. Uh, you just needed to be an old legend 
uh, you'll determine the cutoffs for old and for having already established yourself as a legend. I think it'll be should be fairly clear what qualifies. And the fighter has to win as an underdog against a younger opponent. Top five all time next week. That is mm, perhaps my initial reaction is moderate plus effort, but maybe as I <laughs> okay. maybe as I delve into it, I mean, there's one, one obviously leaps up uh, uh, as an obvious one, but okay, that's an interesting one, and that'll actually be kind of fun. I will definitely have to think about that. I like that. Uh, that's a good assignment. Yeah. Excellent. And I like it when listeners send me ideas so I don't have to that's think right. of them. That's right. Exactly. All right. I know somebody I'm going to be blocking. All right. <laughs> <laughs> that will do it for this week's episode of Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney. A Showtime Boxing programming note, uh, just in case you were getting too excited about an early night on Saturday. Along with Saturday's live fights, Showtime will replay Davis versus Barrios and then air the premiere of All Access epilogue for the fight. And a reminder that as noted at the top of the show, the Money Punch is breaking off into a second Friday mini podcast. There will likely be an episode coming this Friday, as long as betting odds for the Colbert Nyambayar card are available. It won't necessarily be coming every Friday. A lot will depend on the fights that weekend and the kind of odds that are posted. Uh, after that, we'll be back Monday with a regular podcast with post-fight analysis of that July 3rd Showtime card. Until then, thank you for listening. Be safe, be kind, and be well. <laughs>